Good morning, everybody. If you would, turn to James chapter 1. The book of James chapter 1. If I had to title, and I, and I have to for, for David's sake, Patience, Perfect Work. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Patience, Perfect Work. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. You sit down and you read your notes before trying to deliver a message, Gene. And you think, those are perfect. And then you get in front of everybody and sit down and read the first paragraph and there ain't nothing there you thought was there. Y'all pray for me. James chapter 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy. Count it. Reckon it. Balance it. <coughs> pretend. Realize. Count. Count it all joy when you fall into divers communication or divers temptations. I would like for you to replace that word with trials, temptations. I think it has helped me more than anything else to understand this book to do that. And divers means a diversity. When you fall into a diversity of temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience, worketh continually. But let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire. Perfect meaning whole, whole, complete, that you may be whole and complete and entire, wanting nothing. These three verses set the theme for the entire book of what you're about to read, about to study. James, let <coughs> this letter addresses numerous trials, a diversity of trials, but even more, it addresses the believer's response to those trials. Keep that in mind. We are all sinful human beings and our first response, our first inclination to discomfort or trial or tribulation or pain or anguish or any trial that might come to us is to strike out against it. This entire letter to the church is meant to comfort us in trials. It's also a warning for us to guard against that natural response that we are so quick to exercise in the times that they come. Every believer knows in his heart that the Lord God is in absolute control of all things until we fall into a trial. Then we don't believe it so much. God's given him the, the gift of faith, the believer, and every child of Christ heartily embraces that truth. And this is an admonition for you to live that truth. If we truly belong to Christ, the confidence that we have in the person and work of Christ is unshakable, but the events 
that come our way and cause us distress often result in us crying out or even striking out, as I said, against what we know, we know is God's providence. Ultimately, every hostile, detestable response that we have against what we call a bad circumstance is evidence of our unbelief. And in fact, it's nothing less than a carnal challenge to Christ and His Lordship. All of us, me and you, are plagued with that unbelief. And though we are unbendable, listen to me now, we're unbendable in the matter of doctrine and would defend our doctrine to the death in some cases. God's providence often calls into question our faith because of our reaction to the trials that He's ordained for us. And when studying this lesson, in my effort to find some way to express the overall theme of the book of James, there's three individuals came to my mind. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came to my mind while trying to, to express that overall tone and theme. And let me point out something to you. It struck me like lightning. No sooner had Nebuchadnezzar cast Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into that furnace that was burning seven times hotter than usual. No sooner had our Lord permitted them to be cast into that furnace than he was standing right next to him. Nebuchadnezzar said, I see one like the Son of God in there. There's four of them guys in there. Their trial, the Lord was standing right next to them. And when they came out of that furnace, three of them came out. Fourth one didn't. When they came out, do you think they ever had any problem after that in trusting Christ by faith? For their next trial, they knew he was there. We should too. I'm convinced that when they saw the very Son of God standing next to them, they were perfectly content. Any future trial or adversity or any other thing that proved their faith was minor. And let's, let's think about Job for a minute. We all are familiar with his trials. He lost all of his kids. He was covered in boils. He lost all of his cattle. And he had to listen to his friends slander him. And he had a wife that told him, why don't you just curse God and die? That ain't been no help. Those are what you would call diverse temptations, a diversity of temptations, diversity of trials. And they come to Job one right after the other. And all of them was painful, physically and emotionally, both. But nowhere does James say in these, that these trials are going to be pleasant. He just said they're going to come. 
they are going to come. He only says that the trying of our faith has as its objective a perfect work. Look at verse 4. Let patience have her perfect work. I don't know why they put that her there. I have no idea. But let patience have its perfect work. I I don't know why they added that. Now, there are two things we need to keep in mind when we look at this letter from James, inspired by God's Spirit. We need to always remember that the letter is written to believers. No one else. No one else. This is every believer's situation, and it's not isolated to just a few of us. He's not going to pick on one and not pick on the other. They don't come from God. It says that we fall, fall into divers, temptation, divers trials. It's the brethren that he's speaking to, partakers of the heavenly calling. And carnal men can never, ever rejoice in the trials that they encounter in this life. They will not do it. But there's great cause for joy. Verse 2, no sin. Count it all joy. When you when, when, when the faithful child of God is called, which every trial serves, it is to call the fellowship, call us to the fellowship of, of, of God in Christ. They're thrown into the furnace to discover that Christ is right next to them. That's where they go. That's who they see. And secondly, always remember this. Salvation's by grace. And this book can be abused, the book of James. Salvation's by grace. And and the the carnal man of this world will see works in it. Will see works in it. Those trials are not trials of salvation, they're trials of faith. The faith that's been given to us of God and every trial of our faith is designed to bring us to utter dependence on Christ. God's providence designs everything. Everything, all things. The sum total of things. The minutest things. To bring us to an expected end. Um... Though those trials are painful and pain's not their intent, they're just the tools in the hand of our God, our sovereign God, to bring us to the very best place at the feet of Christ. Christ said to us, I know your thoughts. I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Now listen to this saith the Lord, thoughts of peace that I have towards you and not of evil to give you an expected end. Let me read that again. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, my child, saith the Lord, they're thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. Now, knowing all that, 
we can better understand, I think, the words of James in these verses. James begins these words by identifying them, uh, those people that he's writing to. And again, he calls them my brethren. That salutation is important because it it distinguishes or singles out all those upon whom these trials come. These trials are not a a general uh, occurrence as those that are common to all men. They're special. These trials are special. These trials are exclusive to the brethren, to believers, to those whom God has given faith. Natural, carnal men can't rejoice in these trials. The sorrow of the world, these things to the carnal man are the sorrows of the world, which worketh death. And since since these trials are called Trials of faith. These terms are 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 important. I I try to emphasize particular words, but sometimes I slip up. Since these trials are called trials of faith, not trials of works, trials of faith, they can't be separated from the object of our faith, who is the Lord Jesus. And his gospel. These trials come to the believer because he or she believes the gospel. In truth, these trials are a testimony of God's faithfulness to us. Scriptures say God's faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. This whole book This whole book is absolutely stuffed with the principle of rejoicing. How much of that do we do? It's it's stuffed with the principle of rejoicing when you fall into these trials. Listen to just a couple examples. Paul said in Romans, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and we rejoice in hope of glory of God. And not only so, we glory in tribulations also, knowing that the tribulation worketh patience. That's the same thing James said there. Same thing James said. And patience works experience. And experience works hope. And hope makes not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called brethren, according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that we might be the firstborn among many brethren. Those whom he called, he justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Everything that comes to pass. That's what Romans eight twenty eight just said right there. Everything that comes to pass in time 
or in the life of the believer is brought to pass according to God's purpose. There's not one atom out of place. A-T-O-M, not A-D-A-M. Well, that's true too. Everything, everything is according to the eternal, unalterable purpose of God who works all things after the counsel of his own will. God's word assures us that behind all of our trials and the apparent confusion of this world, and it got confused this weekend, as you've seen in the news, God assures us that behind all of that confusion and mess lies the purpose of God. He doesn't view it as a mess. He views it in his purpose, and he's accomplishing every bit of it. And to that end, he's arranged every minute affair in this world. He's sovereignly going to bring them to pass. Paul even refers to... (coughs) Paul even refers (coughs) in Romans... I don't forgot now. Paul even refers to trials being a gift. If you recall... Do you remember this thorn that he was giving him in the flesh? Here's what he said. And lest I should be exalted above measure, though through the abundance of the revelations that he knew and was privileged to, there was given a gift. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. The messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above all measure, For this thing I besought the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. And he gave Paul that weakness to give him, make him strong. Okay. Most gladly, therefore, Paul said, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, and in necessities, in persecutions, and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Notice the wording of verse 2 here. These trials are given. This doesn't say when you fall by temptations. Look at that. When you fall... When you, when you fall, uh, by tempta- it, it doesn't say when you fall by temptations or when you fall because of temptations, but we're to rejoice when we fall into temptations. You remember that Levite over in, I believe it's in Matthew, who went to Jericho and fell among thieves? That word fell and fall are the same thing. It's like falling off a cliff. You ain't got nothing to do with it. It just happens. It's not some thought process that you go to get yourself into these trials or this mess. It's our response to those trials that the, that the Lord permits to be put in front of us. They beat him, 
half to death. Well, they left him for dead, stripped him of his clothes, and and then there was King David, surrounded by his enemies with no escaping them. And I thought when I was studying this, I thought about his response. I wish I could. I wish I could be like David. He said, "The sorrows of death encompassed me, compassed me, and the pains of hell got hold of me." I found trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech you, deliver my soul. And then a little later he says, Thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. He was delivered. He was delivered. It, 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 it becomes pretty obvious that the trials of believers and unbelievers are all held in the providence of God. As I've said, this fall that he's speaking of here is a plunging, a plunging. And the trial of the believer works life. Listen to me. The trial of the believer works life. And the trial of the unbeliever works death. That's what Scripture says. The trials and tribulations of the ungodly provokes madness. And multiple trials provoke more and more madness and rebellion. And the actions of Pharaoh, remember that? Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Is a vivid, is a vivid demonstration. That's a vivid demonstration of what we're talking about here. The unbeliever's response to these things. The temptations are there. They're there. Waiting for us. They are for you. They are for you. And our reaction to them ought to be to rejoice because they are designed specifically to work patience in you and in me. Now, if this is the design of the trials, it certainly points to the fact of a need in us. We need it. If, if, if the, all of that is the design of these trials, it obviously means that we have a need and a necessity for these things. If a survey could be, if a survey could be taken of the things that most afflict a believer at the, at the top would probably be a failure to wait on God with patience. Rex and I have talked about that a little bit in the last few days. How many times have we seen in our studies brought to us by our pastor an admonition of all those battles and kings and situations of the Israelites and Israel and the old prophets to wait on the Lord. Wait, it's repeated throughout. And you'll notice in verse 4 that there's no given specific time. There's no specific time for a trial as to its duration. We were talking about a good friend last night who's been taking care of his wife for about six years now. And she's been in a coma 
for the last year. It takes him an hour and a half to feed her breakfast. He's endured that for a long time. If a timeline was given to us, we'd, we'd, we'd try to invent ways to shorten it. The wording of verse 4 seems to suggest that the believer is simply to expect these trials and realize that when one has done its job and brought its expected end, another's going to follow pretty soon. Until we shed this prison of flesh in which we live and enter into glory, we're going to have these trials. One commentator I read said this. He said, until tile stones, floor tile, until tile stones are, he says, tile stones are of no use until they're baked, well hardened, and well burned. I think that's a pretty good analogy. And the beginning of verse 4 with the conjunction, but, but, suggest that the temptations in which we have fallen have not yet worked in us the patience that is designed for us. I'm going to leave you with an unknown when all this is over with. This teaches, I, I think, that our experiences of life is governed and it is to bring us to this place of understanding. Living in this world as a believer is a guarantee that our faith is going to be tried. Among a lot of things, the admonition, verse 4, to let patience have her perfect work, teaches that the end of patience, the end of the trial of faith, is not known to us. It's not known. What is the end of that trial? What is, when is patience finished? Become a perfect work. The end is known only to God and will not necessarily be discernible by us. Can any of us point to a time when a trial has brought us to full maturity, that's what perfection means. I'm mature. I'm not going to have no more trials. No. That is the meaning of the word perfect. Patience has a perfect work. The trial seems to run together one right after the other, like a chain or something. And we'll not know when the work of, the, of that particular trial or any trial is finished because as long as we have the gift of faith and until our eyes become seeing eyes and we can see clearly, as Paul says, all of this is determined of God to be our, a necessity for us. Our God is going to bring, our Lord's going to bring all things to their appointed end. This is why the passage, I think, is purposely vague. Patience is going to have its perfect work. 
And we're going to be made perfect, mature in faith, entire in patience, and want for nothing. I can't grasp that possibility while I live in this body of flesh. I'm not even going to pretend to. But it takes place unseen and unrecognized. That's the way we grow in the flesh. Unseen and unrecognized. People that see us every day don't see changes in us. Well, that's Rex. That's Jenny. But if you go 15 years and you walk in the back door and you duck your head and go, is that you, Jenny? (laughs) It's unseen and it's unrecognized. And we should count, reckon, it to be so. In verse 2, count with what James calls a perfect work, an increase in maturity. That's perfect work now. It's, it's an increase in maturity and patience. Until that day comes, it seems that the believer is going to go through this life falling into one ditch after another. Into one, in, into one temptation or trial after another. Their faith is going to be tried in order to increase their patience. I'm just repeating what's already been said. Until all things are made new, we'll look at this world and its events just like King Solomon when he said, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor to the bat, nor the battle to the strong. Neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill. But time and chance happeneth to them all. When a child of God falls into these diverse trials, there's cause for joy. It becomes an honor to be conformed to Christ's image. It's a mark of sonship. And it's intended for the believer's good and the Lord's glory. Paul called a messenger of Satan a gift, as we've seen. That was given to me, a thorn in the flesh. And the result of that thorn, listen to me, and the result of that thorn being given to Paul, the outcome the end and the conclusion of that thorn, whatever it had to do with it, the gospel went into the whole world. And Paul is not even remembered. God, our Lord Jesus Christ, got all the glory. Not because Paul was a smart man or anything like that. I think it would be safe to say that patience has a perfect work. We should look forward to it, knowing that Christ is standing right next to us. And he's the one who genuinely passed through this world in grief and suffering and trial and pain without end until he finished it all. Lord bless y'all.